In the course of a conversation at a dinner party, Albert Einstein's neighbor, a young girl, asked the white-haired professor, what are you actually by profession? And Einstein replied, I devote myself to the study of physics. And the girl looked at him in astonishment. She said, you mean to say you study physics at your age? I finished mine a year ago. That's ironically amusing because, like in other parts of our lives, we know that we never finish learning. For instance, though, there are some people who can go to Sunday school until they're 15, and they then believe that they have God and Jesus completely disassembled and understood, not knowing that those depths can be explored and enjoyed the rest of their lives. Emotionally, we can learn more about ourselves when we examine the patterns in our families and how those patterns continue to affect us. Intellectually, we know that when the brain stops learning, it begins to lose its power to think well. Sometimes I wonder whether Jesus' disciples were like Einstein's neighbor. They had been hanging around him for months. Last week, we looked at the previous chapter in Mark when Jesus first predicted his rejection, his suffering, and his death and resurrection. And we we found Peter telling him how wrong he was about the future. Well, Jesus is continuing to try to teach his thick-headed disciples. And as, so, as he does so, he tells them again, the Son of Man is to be betrayed into human hands, and they will kill him. And three days after being killed, he will rise again. And how did the disciples respond? Oh, okay, I get it now. Uh Uh-uh. And we wish, because sometimes we feel a little bit like those thick-headed disciples. Mark tells us they did not understand what he was saying and were afraid to ask him. Well, we've never felt that way, have we? Not understanding but being afraid to ask. Did many of us hear teachers say, There is no dumb question. Remember that? But we think we know better. We suspect that even now our colleagues would snicker at us behind our backs if we asked a dumb question. Or the teacher would go right to the teacher's lounge and roll her eyes because she heard that dumb question again. So if we ask a dumb question, we, what, must be dumb? I mean, that's kind of what we think, whether it's actually correct or not. But we're not dumb. We just haven't learned some things yet. Maybe it's a problem of our society that we're expected to know things sometimes without having the proper instruction. They did not understand what he was saying and were afraid to ask him. Not just a problem with our society, perhaps, 
but with the human race. They're trying to figure it out on their own is how I perceive this passage, and we so get into trouble when we do this. There was a middle-aged school teacher who invested her life savings into a business enterprise that had been elaborately explained to her by a swindler. And when her investment disappeared and the dream of getting rich was shattered, she went to the local office of the Better Business Bureau and they said, why didn't you come to us first? Didn't you know about the Better Business Bureau? And she replied, sadly, well, yes, I've always known about you, but I didn't come to you for advice because I would have, was afraid you'd tell me not to do it. She was trying to figure out things on her own, just like the disciples And Jesus realizes this, and he nails them with this question. What were you arguing about on the way? And for the second time in this brief passage, the disciples are silent, for they had been arguing about who was the greatest. They thought they understood it all, or maybe they knew they didn't, because like a kid who has been caught in a lie, they don't want to admit the truth. They're silent. So here's where the laws of physics enter the human psyche. Newton's first law of motion can be stated. An object at rest tends to stay at rest, and an object in motion tends to stay in motion with the same speed and in the same direction unless acted upon by an unbalanced force. Inertia, we call it, that which keeps us going in the same direction at the same speed. We see it well in vehicles, but not just there in all parts of our lives. A father in a family that provides a good salary, and a father in a job that provides a good salary and family insurance will stay in that job even though he hates going to work every day. A senior will stay in her lonely home and feel her health decline instead of moving to a retirement community because she doesn't think she remembers how to start new relationships. An object at rest tends to stay at rest. And an object in motion tends to stay in motion with the same speed and in the same direction unless acted upon by an unbalanced force. Jill Bolte-Taylor was enjoying her inertia. She had become a neuroanatomist, a brain scientist, because her brother had been diagnosed early as a schizophrenic. And she wanted to understand why she could control certain things in her brain that he could not. So she went into this field. She moved from Indiana to Boston and was working in the Harvard Department of Psychiatry when one morning she discovered that she had a brain disorder of her own. A blood vessel exploded in the left half of her brain. And over the course of four hours, she watched her brain deteriorate in its ability to process all information. 
That morning of the hemorrhage, she could not walk, talk, read, write, or recall any of her life. The inertia of Taylor's life was acted on by an unbalanced force, a stroke. In a video that you can watch on TED.com, Taylor describes how her left hemisphere zinged back online for a moment and she wondered whether she could drive to work after all this strange stuff was happening. And when her right arm then went totally paralyzed, she realized she was having a stroke. And one of her first thoughts after that was, wow, this is so cool. This is so cool. How many brain scientists have the opportunity to study their own brain from the inside out? And then she thought, but I'm a very busy woman. I don't have time for a stroke. (laughs) Eventually, with her left hemisphere coming and going, it came in enough that she managed to get in touch with a friend who got help for her. And then she describes her experience in the ambulance from one hospital in Boston to another. She says, just like a balloon with the last bit of air, I felt my energy lift and I felt my spirit surrender. And in that moment, I knew that I was no longer the choreographer of my life. And either the doctors rescue my body And give me a second chance at life. Or this is my moment of transition. Her experiences, especially when the right hemisphere of her brain was acting alone, changed her life. She saw that when only the right hemisphere was active, that's the kind of artsy side... there's a, too, too much to go into about it, but she, she felt a strong sense of peace when her left brain was out of the picture, a sense of harmony, a sense of hope, and a sense of no boundaries at all, that we're all powerfully connected. And so she says now over 10 years later, that we have a choice to activate the right hemisphere of the brain, to to access the circuitry in that right hemisphere so that we can inhabit a sense of peace and not only feel it for ourselves, but project it outward to others. And she invites us then to imagine what it would be like if we worked more with that right hemisphere and projected that peace outward and other people around the world then experienced the harmony that she did in those moments the morning of her stroke. An object at rest tends to stay at rest and an object in motion tends to stay in motion with the same speed and in the same direction unless acted upon by an unbalanced force. Sometimes the circumstances of life provide that unbalanced force that changes our trajectory. A poor financial decision, a stroke, a 
car accident, a death, even a birth or a marriage. These new and unbalanced forces are pivot points for us that alter the direction of our lives. So the question that comes to me about this is, are we prisoners, are we humans prisoners of the law of inertia? Do we have the power to choose a different direction? We see that the disciples were arguing about which of them was Jesus' greatest disciple. Can you imagine them each extolling their own virtues? One might say, did you see how he looked at me when he asked that question? Another, I picked up the most baskets of bread after he fed that huge crowd. And Peter might say, yeah, but I was the first one to call him Messiah. In response to their adolescent sense of competition, Jesus is the unbalanced force that changes the direction of how they and we act and think. Picture it. He sits down, which is, for them, the typical teacher, the teacher position. We've reversed things. The, the students would stand and the teacher would sit back then. So Jesus sits down. He calls the twelve and he says to them, Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. And then he takes a little child and he puts it among them. And taking it in his arms, he says to them, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. That is so hard for us to understand. We Americans who devote a part of our worship service to the children. Advertisers want to know what children want to buy, and they put those things out there in front of them. But then, it makes it hard for us to understand the scandal of the time. Then, children were nobodies. They weren't useful until later, And so they really were mostly in the way. So welcoming someone like this, a nobody, is the way we welcome Jesus. It's the way we welcome God. So now do you see that pivot point? It's a challenge for us because our path tells us to stick with a homogeneous group. People who like the same music as we do. People who dress the same. People who share our skin color or our social status or our background. A Sunday school class made a list of answers to the question, what's wrong with grown-ups? And one of them was, one of the more serious ones was, grown-ups are always talking about what they did and what they knew when they were 10 years old but they never try to think what it's like to be 10 years old right now. When we stay in our trajectories, inertia takes over. But when we let Jesus be the unbalanced force that knocks us in a different direction, we begin to see others 
with new eyes. This past Wednesday night, I um, had a moment, well, not the only moment, but one moment of clumsiness when I was out back and I thought I was on the part of the sidewalk that slopes down towards the parking lot, but I was actually at the curb. And so when I stepped down, I didn't find the place that I wanted. And my, the bottom of my foot didn't find the street. The side of my foot found the street. And, and that is background to tell you why I'm wearing pants today. Now, I have worn pants, I mean, a dress or a suit or something um, for all but I think one Sunday of the 14 plus years that I've been at Calvary. And so I was standing in front of my, in my closet this morning looking at my outfits and trying to think, what can I wear that I can wear comfortable shoes with? And, you know, heels that are about this big around are really not smart to wear when you have an ankle that is, hurts you. So I, I thought of this sermon, <laughs> and I thought, okay, this is a pivot point. And so I decided, all right, if I'm going to live into this, then I'm going to wear pants today. And, you know, people in this pulpit wore pants for over 100 years. <laughs> but, <laughs> but for some reason, you know, I feel like I have to be super dressed up on Sundays. But, <clears throat> but then I realized that it's, this is just an, an example of the type of thing that Jesus calls us to, is, is bringing in that unbalanced force that makes us change direction. I believe that we are not prisoners to the law of inertia. I believe that we can change direction, and we can do it with the power of God. We can do it with the power of Jesus' spirit that is still alive today. Excuse me. Next week after worship at the Faith and Fun Festival, we hope to be mingling among a crowd of children. And I don't just mean people who are 12 years old or younger, but I mean children in terms of what Jesus is talking about. People who might be nobodies or used to be in our eyes, people who are different from us, people who have a different skin color, people who have a different social background. And we are being called, Calvary Baptist Church, to step out of our comfort zone and to welcome them just as we welcome a beloved child. Can we allow Jesus to be our unbalanced force? I believe we can.